Welcome to the Conquer Food Podcast with Craig and Paula Williams, where we share tips, tricks and strategies from the coalface of the weight loss industry in the UK. We're going to help you to think, eat and move better. Ultimately, we're going to help you finally gain control and conquer food. Hey up and welcome to uh, the first episode of this series of the Conquer Food Podcast. It's been a while. It's been a while since we've, uh, I, well, since I've done a, like a solo episode like this um, for a few different reasons. One, the fact that um, everyone has had little bouts of sickness, including me. And for the last probably four or five months, on and off, I've felt uh, I've not I've not felt great. I've not felt like I was kind of able to get on the microphone and do this kind of stuff. But I do now. I may at times have a little bit of a cough. I still have a little bit of residual sort of COVID and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I might sometimes if I get a little bit of dry throat, start coughing. So um, <clears throat> there we go. So excuse me if I do that one. So today I want to answer a question um, which I get quite a bit. And that is, you know, is food addiction a recognized addiction? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how you can check in on your own relationship with food. And we're also going to talk about, you know, if you do, if you really suffer in regards to your relationship with food, whether it seems to control you or you seem to have lost any kind of ability to moderate what you're doing and all that kind of stuff, then we're going to kind of talk about some of the ways you can uh, you can tackle that and you can start to change what you're doing. Before we get into that, I just want to sort of you know, raise your awareness of the of the new set. You know, we've gone up a little bit. Um, our original set which was in the bottom of our gym. Um, used to get cold. Used to get quite cold in the winter. And that is another reason why we stopped doing regular episodes because it was just absolutely freezing. To get guests in there was a bit of a nightmare. Whereas now we've changed the location. We've changed the set a little bit. Hopefully it's up the production value a little bit. And therefore we're hoping that you'll enjoy it a little bit more. So, so that's what this is about. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, we've got some great guests to share their stories and to share their tips and advice. And I've also got a couple more of these solo type episodes planned where I kind of give you the benefit of my experience through working on the coal face of the weight loss industry as like, as like we say and as a trainer you get the benefit of, of that experience all right so food addiction is it real what do you think first of all if you if you are on youtube right now then obviously you've got the ability to comment below so just comment below whether you think food addiction is a recognized thing or not and then uh, and then we'll kind of get into it by the way the things I'm going to talk about today, um, I've taken a lot of information from a website called examine.com. Now, examine.com doesn't sponsor this episode or I don't have any kind of kickback from it or anything like that. Um, it is my go-to website. Whenever I'm, you know, if someone asks me questions about supplements, about nutrition, about sleep, about any any health and fitness factor, I go to examine and, and I just kind of read what it is. Now, what examine does is it does a very good job of looking at all um, the research papers and you know evidence based science that there is on a on a particular topic, and it kind of very good at summarising it all and giving you giving you like the, the facts or the outcomes, the interpretation of it, and uh, it's a completely unbiased. Uh, which is very, very good. And it also, it'll explain whether the tests have been done on rodents or whether it's an, an epidemiological study or whether it's, you know, peer reviewed and all this kind of stuff or whether it's a human, it's a study that's been done on humans because, you know, we, we do differ 
from mice and, and rodents biologically we're, we're different you know so um it's not always relevant you know if you're doing a test on on rats well that's not always relevant to human beings okay so well, let's first of all define addiction so as per the definition of addiction on, on the old tinterwebs addiction is when a person compulsively engages in an activity despite negative consequences now straight away you start to think about some of the ways that you eat some of the foods that you eat some of the reasons why you eat and you might already start to think you know what um, yes, food addiction is a real thing. And although we might think, you know, it's very real, we, we, we feel it, we battle it, you know, we, tack, we try and tackle it every week, science doesn't actually recognise it as an induction, an addiction right now. Now, that may change in, in the future, but as it stands right now, it really doesn't see food addiction as, as, a, as a real thing. Um, of course, it's a real thing, but whether it's a, a real addiction okay now well, that causes a few problems in regards to tackling it and like i said we can only hope that in the future things like that will change now the reason why i say it causes problems is because if it's not like really recognized in the medical world or the scientific world then nobody's really working on uh effective like treatments for it or therapies for it or anything like that because it's just it's just not really a thing now whether it's not being stood enough whether it's not really understood enough i don't really know well one thing i do know is it's the definition which kind of slows it down a little bit so let me read again now basically what what some researchers have done is they have mapped across what we call the DSM addiction criteria. So the DSM uh, is a medical journal where they've defined what addiction is. And some people have mapped across those addiction criteria onto food. Okay, we're going to go through in a minute. And uh, they, they call it the Yale food addiction scale. All right. So although in the world of science and all that kind of stuff, and I'm not a scientist, or, uh, you know, I've not even been to university, um, it, they don't really recognize it as an addiction as per their publications we do have a Yale food addiction scale. That tells me that things are moving kind of in the right direction. All right. So that's kind of good news. So what are the seven features of addiction incorporated in, in the Yale food addiction scale? Let's go through them. And, and same again, I want you to sort of think about you, your relationship with food and how you eat and tell me if these, these things resonate with you, you know, what you think of it. Um, so here we go. Number one, the substance tends to be consumed in larger amounts or over longer periods than intended. Now, I speak to people every week where they have a certain type of binge food or a category of binge food, and they certainly consume that in much larger amounts than they're supposed to. I mean, I've experienced that myself. One of the things is obviously, if you think about like the, the average size of a, of a chocolate purchase nowadays you know when i was kind of growing up it was a little chocolate bar you know maybe a little bloody fredo bar or something like that now you can get big slabs of chocolate and we kind of kid ourselves oh yeah i'll save a bit for later or i'll share it actually we don't often do that you know and we actually cane the whole lot until we kind of feel sick that first criteria i'm sure you know when you look at some of your your eating and stuff like that you kind of you, you meet that criteria already and over longer periods than intended all right so you know you may have periods where you're kind of sitting snacking on crisps and stuff like that and it's meant for one sitting but actually you just keep going and just keep going and just keep going um so that's the first one number two reducing time spent on important recreational social or work-related activities because of the consumption all right so you know um you're missing out on things because you're spending time eating rather than 
rather than actually doing those things. Like, you know, going for a walk, you'll kind of sit in and, and, and have a binge or, you know, eat chocolate crisps, whatever it is, um, rather than do those things. Or you avoid going out on social events and then stay in and watch TV and, and, and eat naff food. So again, number two, I'm sure a lot of you can kind of tick that off as something that you do quite regularly. Uh, number three, persistent desire or unsuccessful attempts to stop or curb consumption. Now we've all had a bit of that, I think. You know, I think we've all had times where we've tried to do something about it. We've tried to um, to give these things up and, and to stop eating certain foods and, and really struggled. Uh, so number three, probably big tick in the box again. Number four is continuing despite negative physical or physiological consequences, uh, wrong psychological consequences. So even though it gets us down, even though we become riddled with guilt, even though we know what we're doing is, is nowhere near moderation. Um, even, even though our, our waist size is getting bigger, it's getting harder to move around and harder to do the normal stuff that you do in life. Maybe it's even harder to sleep or, you know, there's, there's just a ton of, of physical and psychological consequences that we kind of, we kind of put up with and, and eat these type of food and these this amount of food despite all those things so you can probably see a bit of a pattern number five spending a lot of time on activities related to consumption or recovering con from, from consumption okay so times when you know you spend you spend a lot of time kind of trying to walk it off or you know dwelling on it uh, mentally um or you spend a lot of time kind of browsing online looking you know online shopping walking around the shop spend a lot of time actually in the shop buying this kind of food as, as well as uh, as well as eating it. Um, so that, that one's number five. And number six, needing more of the substance to achieve a desired effect. Now, we're probably going to talk about this in future episodes where, you know, one of our big, in, big drivers in our mind is, uh, is dopamine, which, you know, is often called the reward hormone. Actually, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a motivation hormone where, you know, it'll cause us to chase stuff. It'll chase, will cause us to chase the feeling we get when we've we've had binge food or chocolate food or overeating or whatever it is. The thing is, the way that dopamine works is the more you kind of trigger it, the more receptors we develop in the brain, therefore the more we need to get a similar response in the, in the future. So, um, you know, that's another one. Again, probably you will all, all recognize. And then withdrawal. You know, if you were to kind of cut back on it or cut it out completely, you experience some kind of withdrawal from it. You know, whether it's headaches, shakes, this feeling of, of longing. So they're the seven uh, addiction criteria that's been mapped across to food, okay, that they call the Yude, uh, the Yale Food Addiction Scale. Now, if you want to do actually actually work through a questionnaire, you can do that on the website. Um, so if you go to conquerfood.org, have a little dig around, you'll find the food addiction quiz. And just sort of see where you score on that, you know, and, and see what your results is. Um, now, what they say is if people experience three out of those seven criteria, then there's a strong indication that you've certainly got an unhealthy uh, relationship with food um but also you know you, you have an addiction to food and and for some people you know that can be like nah you can't you can't can't possibly be addicted to food you know um other people like they just know and accept it um there are some people that wear it with a badge of honor and that, that's not great because it kind of suggests that you want to hold on to it and keep hold of it what i really want to highlight today is uh there's a lot of people that don't think they really have an issue with it you know, they think they're kind of eating quite well and, and 
um, they don't understand why they're putting on weight or not getting any fitter and all this kind of thing. And 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 you know, it boils down to the fact that they have got some unhealthy relationships with food. Uh, they just don't quite understand it yet. So I, I encourage you to do that little Yale food addiction scale and uh, and see where you are on that. All right. So just going back to the fact, you know, whether it's recognized in the scientific world or not, um, the, the DSM, uh, it, like I said, it's a, a, a medical publication and it kind of lists a lot of disorders and, and illnesses and ailments and all this kind of stuff. Now, currently it doesn't have a category for food addiction. This is what I mean by in kind of the medical world or whatever, they don't really recognize it as an addiction yet. Um, I think everybody knows it kind of, it's there, it's out there, but it just research, science, whatever, just hasn't caught up. Now, like I said, it may in the future. Um, I think one of the problems is regarding sort of the definition of it. So, for example, it's quite hard to kind of define whether it's like a chemical addiction or whether it's a behavioral addiction, all right? Examples of the two of these, chemical addiction, drink and drugs, behavioral addiction, gambling, all right, so you're not actually consuming anything when you're gambling, but you do get massive dump of dopamine, whatever, and um, and that co- that can cause like addictive type like behaviour. Well, and it's the same with food. Is it the is it the chemical addiction to food, or is it the behavioural addiction to food, or is it is it both? You know, uh, so I think there's a little bit of kind of work to be done in the science world to kind of work out actually what it is. And I think once that happens, we may well get a, a classification in the DSM. We may get a, a new category or, you know, they might just kind of throw it in there when they kind of next update it. So I, I think I think it's got to come. Another reason why I think they might be dragging their heels a little bit is obviously if they define it, that there is a problem with food addiction. Something's got to be done about it. First and foremost, like somebody, we've got to find a, a culprit. We've got to find someone to kind of blame, you know, whether it's a food industry, whether it's the nutritional science, which has always been questionable and has changed throughout the years. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of questions to be answered on the back of sort of going, okay, right, actually, we're going to acknowledge there is, there is a problem um, because now it needs to be dealt with. Uh, the other thing as well is it's huge, you know, it's a huge, huge issue. Now, not everybody who is obese has got a food addiction problem and everyone who's got a food addiction problem is obese, you know. But having said that, there's lots and lots of people. We meet people, like I said, every week that really, really struggle with these things. You know? So it is it is a huge, huge problem. Uh, I mean, some some kind of scientists and researchers, they, they are in the mind that like today's food and today's way of eating is far more like addictive like or triggers the brain's reward system far more than, than ancient food or even food from a few hundred years ago. And I kind of agree with that. I mean, just, you know, casting my mind back to when I was a little nipper and the way that I used to eat and how I used to eat and what we used to eat is very different from today. You know, very, very different from today. Certainly less refined processed foods, certainly less chemicals in the food, uh, certainly less sugar. Um, I think when I was growing up, we drank a lot of soft drinks. That was a real problem. But I think we've kind of cut back on that a little bit. That's a, that's a good sort of step that um, that we've made over, over the last 20, 30 years. We, we've definitely reduced that a little bit. Um, but so having said that, we've also introduced some sort of hyper- palatable food and drink you know like people having a much smaller can of of red bull compared to the soft drink that we used to drink but it's just a lot more 
packed with chemicals and, and sugars and caffeines and taurine and all this kind of stuff. So, so just going back to the Yale food addiction scale, uh, I've got a, a couple of sort of percentages really. It was found that um, five to ten percent of people in the general population had three or more of this criteria for um, for food addiction. Um, that's quite a lot. Five to ten percent of everybody. Uh, Fifteen to twenty-five percent of the of people with obesity had three or more of this criteria for uh, for the Yale food addiction scale, and um, thirty to fifty percent of people with severe obesity or binge eating disorders um, had you know three or more. So numbers probably as you'd expect, really. Okay, but it's uh, you know for something that we don't quite recognise yet, there's quite a few people that have got <laughs> these symptoms. So you might be thinking like, well. Well, does it matter whether it's recognised or not? Um, I think it. I think it does matter. It matters a hell of a lot. Like I said before, it. You know, we're never going to get the real help that we need or further study or, or whatever until it is kind of recognised as an issue. And the other thing as well is like we're never going to expand medical therapies and treatments within the community. Uh, until it's recognised, until it's actually a thing, and someone can say, you know, what you're actually going to do with this bit of funding? I'm going to tackle this, you know. And, it, and if it's not really there in the big book of of, of everything, then that's not really going to happen, is it? Um, and, <coughs> and 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 even going as far as to say like governmental policies and so like that, that's not going to change until until it kind of is in there. So this is not a campaign to kind of get more research and all that kind of stuff on there. But it's just, you know, a, an interesting discussion point that even today, it's something that we battle day in, day out. It's just not included in the book. It's kind of bizarre. All right, so you, you may be interested in like, you know, these, these food addiction symptoms, can they be treated? Yes, you know, we see people tackle these things all the time. Uh, the Yale Food Addiction Scale is, is a test that we do when people start our long-term program and we get them to do it again at the end and there is a significant difference in the amount of, of those criteria that they can kind of tick off. So you can definitely treat it. Now what I've got, I've got a number of the ways in which it can be it can be um, tackled, all right? So there's this kind of six six ways that uh, kind of accepted and you can tackle it. Um, but there are a few options. First of all, psychotherapy, whether it's, CBT, anything like that helps. Fundamentally, we're talking often about beliefs, about habit, how our brain works. And sometimes people overeat because, not necessarily because they're just greedy. Very rarely is it actually about that. It's because there's other stuff going in their life and, and food is that thing that they rely on to just make them feel a little bit better for one day of the week or for a slight moment that day or whatever, you know? So there's normally a whole load of other things going on. People will mask these symptoms of trauma, unhealthy relationships, violent relationships. You know, there's just a ton of stuff that food just becomes a coping mechanism and therefore some kind of psychotherapy that can help to tackle some of those other things can be very, very effective. You start to peel away some of those layers and the, the, the people's need to pacify themselves with food or, or whatever becomes a lot less. You know, we see it all the time. Quite often people say to us when they come in our long-term program, um, I put on loads of weight and got really unhappy. And when we dive into it, actually it's the other way around where people kind of, they get really unhappy for whatever reason and then start eating and pile on the weight. Um, so that's the first one. Uh, another one is abstinence-based programs, things like the seven-step program, like you would do at Alcoholics Anonymous or the, the, the drug one. You know, these, these can be really, 
really helpful uh, where you're kind of just cutting it out. What we find is that it just creates a window in which you can you can break that chemical addiction to stuff. You know, there's definitely a, a chemical drivers to eating sugar, for example. There's definitely chemical drivers for eating refined and processed foods. And, and sometimes, well, not sometimes, all the time, it takes a while to break those chemical drivers, you know, to, to even if it's just like it, it triggers so much... Um, dopamine they takes a bit of time for the receptors to settle down and everything to kind of equalize and balance itself out you know in order to not need you know a great example is coffee recently i, I cut out coffee completely for an, um 180 days i did in the end and um, i was doing that because i was just drinking so much coffee it was affecting so many aspects of my life and, and at times it was making me depressed and it was making me depressed because i'd created all these dopamine receptors because, you know, this is how caffeine works. It, it, triggers, it settles in the dopamine receptors. Then you need more receptors. Therefore, you need more caffeine. And then you need more and more. And it becomes this vicious circle until eventually, you know, you have massive bouts of depression because you just cannot trigger enough dopamine to, to fulfill the need of the receptors. And when you cut it out uh, for, you know, 10 to 30, 90 days or whatever, those receptors kind of, they, they kind of die off a little bit, you know, and, 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 your dopamine response settles down to how it was at first, you know, like a dopamine detox almost. So, you know, these abstinence-based programs are really, really effective in just resettling all that. And there's times when we've had someone completely cut out sugar and then drink something like Coca-Cola, which they would drink quite a lot before they come on the program. And it's like, Jesus, that's sweet. You know, they just didn't realize how sweet it was because their taste buds and, and their reward response in the brain was just jacked up. Uh, energy restriction and another weight loss diets. You know, when you start to restrict the amount of energy you're consuming, the amount of food you're consuming, um, it will change uh, your relationship with food, you know, because you will just you just won't have free reign to eat whatever, however, whenever you want, and and that can have a, a dramatic effect. And then residential programs. Um, now we talk about residential programs. You know, ours is is a residential program. We run a twelve week conquer food program. There are shorter programs as well, but that's the one we kind of you know really advocate the most, um, just because of the way it's been developed. And, um, and the beauty about like a residential program like that is all those four things that I've covered are, are part of that residential program. That's the kind of the, the power of it, you know. Um, there's, there's two other things that uh, you can use to kind of help with food addiction criteria and symptoms and all that kind of stuff. Now, obviously, we don't, we don't cover these in the residential program. One is medication. We don't use medication because we're not doctors or anything like that, but there are some medications out there that can help. There's, you know, there's a couple of things there which have been developed to kind of help with sugar cravings and, and overeating, you know, turning off your appetite. We don't really, we don't do anything with that kind of stuff um, because all, you know, when, when you get the first four things sorted out, it's not often needed, you know, so, um, and, and we're not, we're not doctors or like that, so we can't go prescribing stuff. But um, that is a way that people use. And then the final one is bariatric surgery. Now, in my experience, it may help with the symptoms or the consequences of food addiction and overeating. Um, but I know plenty of people that have had bariatric surgery and have come on our program just to tackle the beliefs, the processes, the habits and all that that they've got. So it doesn't often um, help with that. You know, in fact, 
what can happen quite regularly is it actually has a detrimental effect and forces you to do more of the behavior that meets the criteria for food addiction because you start to cheat your way around stuff like before you know you could just eat biscuits and now you physically cannot consume enough biscuits so you start dissolving it in your tea and, and all this kind of thing and and um, it can actually make it a little bit worse um so but it's one of the recognized uh methods of, of tackling food addiction criteria so um you know it's it's there on the list okay so a couple of interesting things there a couple of interesting points um if you want to continue the conversation after this we have a fa- private facebook group where there's only people associated with the conquer food program in there um, you can go to Facebook and uh, and search Conquer Food, and then you'll be able to find the group. Uh, failing that, you can send us a message, and we'll and we'll send you a link to get you in that group. I hope that have kind of been interesting to listen to. I think there's some good information in there. Um, like I said, head over to examine.com. They've got a load of of articles and, and stuff like that on weight loss, fitness, on supplements and, and dieting, just a ton of different stuff. And it's really good because, like I said, it it summarizes it all and puts it off puts it across in often a very, you know, a simplistic way. Uh, and in so and, and we know that certain bits of research and, and and certain bits of, and certain experiments, they're kind of, they're a little bit biased because people have got an interest in what they're trying to do. But this, this examine.com is just completely unbiased. You know, it's got no reason to kind of, um, to cook the books, excuse the pun. Oh yeah, there is. Demu, it's been so long, I forgot which one it was. <laughs> anyway, I found it. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening and uh, make sure you tune into the next episode of the Conquer Food Podcast. We're going to be going through more uh, food addiction, refined fast food tips and advice. So see you then. Mm-hmm.